0: that recording cool all right my man Glenn welcome yes. to the pod man I've yes. been uh I've been needing a brewing company and this is a good one yeah excited to be here so welcome welcome uh, so I don't know if you've gotten to listen to the pod so far um, but before we even get into it one of my favorite things I like to do is ask what was your childhood dream job
1: yeah oh, so I mean, just, I don't remember much of my childhood, but I do, <laughs> okay. in a yearbook one year, it asked that question, and it said I wanted to be a rocket scientist, so
0: I'm not sure what that entails, really. I probably just thought Wait, it was cool back then. What year was that? Uh, like, second grade. Second. <laughs> you know what's funny is we, we've had some interesting ones. We've had a coffee shop owner. Okay. That was my first one. She was only seven at the time when she, I was like, H- "Do you you never even had coffee yet. She's like, nope, yeah. never had coffee, but I wanted to just own a coffee. yeah, yeah. Ah, uh, and then all the sport ones, but that's pretty basic. Yeah. Those, those don't excite me as much. Yeah. All of us wanted to be sport fans. Exactly. Uh, well, share it with everyone kind of what this is in your own words. Yeah, so the biggest thing with Ivanhoe
1: Park is community. I mean, even tonight, trying to get around the hustle and bustle. It's a Wednesday night, but we've got the Solar Bears coming out. We have Run Club. Um, so our biggest thing is commitment to community. That's, you know, what we'll always talk about. The staff really like to follow that. And it's just kind of creating a fun environment, doing different events, and connecting with, you know, the neighbors to really drive people to come and feel safe and, you know, want to enjoy a beer.
0: What's cool for anyone that's out there right now is this setup, we had to look all around. They're so busy that even before they actually open up, they're already having so many moving parts. They have the Orlando Solar Bears coming later. They have, what do you even say that all that little process was, the brewing? Yeah, so they're actually out.
1: brewing. It's a little bit hectic. It's for a beer for Epcot, so we have to brew a lot of beer when they order a
0: beer. So oh, we, wow. We try to prioritize their orders, and it came in very late, and they need it very soon. So. So that, <laughs> the, Disney, the Disney name alone kind of puts it. They can order that late, can't they? Yeah. So Man, I'll, I'll just, just have food and wine. Working. Where are you guys at in Epcot? Uh, so
1: right now with food and wine, we have our pineapple vibes in brewing and our park hopper in cans over there. Uh, For Festival of the Holidays, every year they get our Hazelnutty Cracker, uh, which is a nice imperial stout that has some good hazelnut,
0: too. I have not had that. That sounds good.
1: Yeah, so it'll be out
0: mid-November, and then they usually get it around that time. I'm going to jump to a question now that you brought this up. How many beers do you guys have total year-round or throughout the year?
1: So any given time, our tap room has 15 taps. Uh, Those are just – they're all full. That's all we have available room for. Um, But you mentioned Untapped earlier – uh, if you go to our venue page, we've brewed over a thousand different beers Jeez. in the four years that we've been open. So, so
0: my buddy Dan's hit 1400, so yeah. I don't know what's going to compete <laughs> hit him on untapped or you guys loading up on untapped. Exactly. Um, and I'll get to a couple of those questions cause he told me I had to ask some untapped questions. Um, yeah. But how did you even get started with the idea of wanting to start this? Was it is this your first business? No, so I actually opened a brewery in
1: California before this one. Um, so I was born and raised in Southern California. Uh, got big into home brewing after my MBA. Uh, started in 2010, home brewed for about three years, and then opened up a brewery in California in 2013. How old were you when you
0: started brewing at home? Oh, man.
1: It was later in life, 32. Yeah. OK. Yeah. So what I made you want to do that, though? Uh, I mean, I had a nice job after the MBA program and my buddy worked at the local college and he was going through the adult learning book and homebrewing was on there. And (laughs) I was like, you know what? We spend a lot of money on beer. So maybe if we make it, it'll be cheaper. And, you know, it just became an obsessive hobby where every weekend we'd go over to his house, get in his garage, (laughs) unload all the stuff and just brew, you know, five gallons of beer at a time. So Do, do you use the bathtubs? We didn't. We, I mean, this was before Amazon, so we actually had to drive to like the local retail store. It was weird. Most, yeah, most people listening probably were <laughs> like, wait, life before Amazon, what? <laughs> and so now we had like, it's just like a big crab oil bucket that you would use, and you have different transfer systems, and then the Gatorade buckets work really well for lottering and Vorloff and all that different process in it. How long did it take to learn that process? So, I mean, the adult course is only. Three Wednesdays in a row, and we definitely didn't learn it in that. Our first batch—I
0: don't think there's a way <laughs> to learn that that fast.
1: Our first batch was actually pretty nice, and it was BJ's Belgian nitwit, and it came out really good. And we were stoked. We we're like, oh, we're pros at this. But then, like, batch two through probably fifty just sucked. sucked.
0: Well, <laughs> so, how bad? Well, what do they taste like when they suck? Like
1: bad soda, I guess. Ooh. Like it's either, and it's various reasons. Like we didn't clean properly. So. We learned how to homebrew. The first step of homebrewing is crack a beer, and that's not always the best idea because <laughs> there's a lot of stuff you have to do. Where if you're you know feeling a little tipsy and getting into it, it's it's tough to follow the procedure, keep track of time. You have to really hit temperatures and cleaning's always the number one thing. So I mean, when you're a little tipsy towards the end, you're just like dumping. Yeah, the, you don't want to clean. Dumping <laughs> the wort, throwing it in the container, and then cracking another beer. Um, but, yeah, I'd say bad soda and some other just bad off flavors that we were getting. Did you ever get sick? Uh, not sick. I yeah. mean, it'd be tough. I'm, I'm sure there is cases of it. But, I mean, when you're
0: using just four ingredients, none of those are really going to get to the effect of actually making you feel sick. And so so you did that, for, you said, for a few years. Where you And you were still working, obviously, regular mm-hmm. life yep. job, right? Yep. Uh, and then when did it trigger you to say, hey – Maybe there is something here, and let's follow this little hobby, passion, idea.
1: Yeah, so the guy that taught the homebrew course was the head brewer, Carl Strauss, which is a pretty well-renowned brewery down in San Diego. Um, so I kept in touch with him. He kind of helped us progress our homebrewing skills. And then three years in, you know, I approached him and hired him as a consultant to teach me how to open, you know, from five gallons to 15 barrels. And, you know, he gave me a really good deal just because he he loved the passion and seeing that me and my buddy were brewing every weekend and really putting in the time and the the effort into it. Um, So brought him on. He helped me hire a head brewer who came in and actually brewed the beers. And then my background with the MBA in finance, you know, really helped with creating a business plan, creating financial forecasts, and, you know, getting all the licensing in place. So I think it just kind of fell into place after that.
0: So it sounds like you are – all in in that whole moment, kind of putting all these pieces together. How, how fast was that time oh, frame of, hey, let's think of this idea, and then actually <laughs> saying hey, we're all in?
1: So I approached my dad for the funds, and he could come up with 33% with an SBA loan. That's what you need. And... I think he had no faith in it, so he's like, yeah, for sure, I'll give you the money if you can find a bank that will finance this. Where his <laughs> He he was hoping that you wouldn't find a bank. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I found one bank. Literally, I went through California's SBA-approved bank lenders and called all of them, shot down by all. There was just one, and they were like, we'll meet, we're on the fence. And I was like, oh, okay, here we go. <laughs> so I had the business plan, had the financials, and had the consultant, and being able to like put his name on there gave them more confidence. and. You know, after months and months of going through it and paperwork and things like that, finally the bank approved it, and I think my dad's like... I was going to say, what was the
0: first thing your dad said (laughs) when you told him? Probably like, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't expecting (laughs) that. Yeah. And how, how did he feel about it once it started taking off? So
1: I think he got into it. I mean... You know, I was older, so it wasn't like that little boy, like, yeah. proud moment, but still, I'm sure my dad was kind of like, ah, oh, this is cool. You know, I get to invest in my
0: son's business and help him out. And, and it actually worked out. Get it off the <laughs> ground. Yeah, it did. Yeah, in the long run. Say, it's not the same conversation if it doesn't work <laughs> <laughs> exactly. out. Exactly. That's a major failure. Exactly. And so you were a beer drinker even before. Like you were big into drinking beer. Did you ever look, like, when you drank beer, did you ever think of, like, the science, the taste, or were you just drinking beer to drink beer?
1: So definitely my Navy years was beer to drink beer. And I just know when I was in the Navy, I drank Bud Light. And it was because one time I was at the Navy exchange and the guy that was the Bud Light rep was like, I'll give you a dollar if you buy Bud Light. And I was like, i'll take a dollar and from there on out that one dollar like that investment from that one driver that just happened to give me one dollar probably made them millions on the back end because i drank so much bud light after that it was insane they knew what they were doing oh yeah
0: those was a, their little one dollar <laughs> long-term investment yeah. paid off
1: uh, i don't know how often that works but that, i just go back to that memory and i'm like man i bought bud light all the time, just because I got $1 from the driver that one day.
0: <laughs> it's crazy when you look back, all these like little things in life that you're like, I don't even know how that even changed my decision-making, but this little thing made me change my whole trajectory of life itself. Yeah, right place, right time kind of thing. And so how long were you in California for?
1: So I was born and raised there. When I joined the Navy, I moved around a bit, but ended up back out there. So pretty much all my life except for the six years I was in the military. Did you start the brewery uh, brewery out there? So yeah, Huntington Beach, California. Oh, cool. uh, we started in 2013, and then in 2016 we were approached by another brewery that was growing pretty rapidly, uh, and able to work out a deal where they
0: acquired majority of the assets on that side of it. And then w- where'd you kind of pivot to that? Because that's a that's a pretty big moment business-wise. Where I feel like a lot of people end up changing their whole. Uh, I guess, business mindset or what they wanted to do when they sell a company off?
1: Yeah, a lot of people do. I was still interested in staying in the industry. Um, At the time, my family had just moved to Nashville. A lot of my friends are moving to Texas. I mean, everybody that's from California is leaving California (laughs) for their various reasons. Don't want to get into that. but They're smart. (laughs) I ended up landing in Orlando and you know, in the back of my mind, I knew I was going to open up another brewery, but I came out here, used my MBA to get another financial uh, controller job at a company out here and just kind of worked through that. And it's funny how this one came about. Uh, I was just on a trip down in Peru and one of my business partners now, my, one of my main investors uh, is a doctor at Advent Health and just happened to be on the same tour that I was on in Peru. Oh, wow. And so he kept seeing me wear craft beer shirts every day. He's like, I got to ask, like, why do you wear craft beer shirts? And I was like, oh, they were free because I used to own a brewery. So (laughs) I like free shirts. And he was like, well, that's crazy. Like me and my buddies were trying to get into a business and brewing would be one of them in Orlando. And I was like, well, I actually live in Orlando. So it's just super small world because everybody else on the tour was just from around the world. So just for him to like ask that one question at that one time. um, So literally two weeks later i wasn't thinking anything of it because most people are like yeah i'll invest yeah, yeah. in that opening a brewery sounds cool just like saying something yeah disputing it out yeah he emailed me and i was like yeah like you know i have a business plan for california i have the financials i i know what it looks like i have the history of it and so sat down with him and a few buddies and you know it just kind of rolled from there
0: how long did that take that little process
1: it actually moved pretty quickly yeah. um a lot faster than expected after the peru trip two weeks later we were sitting down we actually met at washburn's import down the road yeah, yeah. had some beer there and uh you know at one of the nice round tables uh, from india and just chatted through it all and probably within a month like people were just signed me up like they were interested they saw and i think it came down to like having a professional business plan having good financial forecasts and just making it look presentable and professional. I think that just kind of helped them out. Like, you know, this looks good. And, you know, if we're going to pull the trigger, we need to do it now.
0: How many founders or how, how many people share equity?
1: So overall, I think
0: we're at 12 now. 12? Yeah. Are so you, it's a you, good group. Are you going to expand? Is there going to be a second, third, fourth, twelfth?
1: Uh, so, I mean, everything that we've done, they've all been on board. So we're actually investing in a shipping container kitchen. Uh, So we do love having food trucks out, but we also want to kind of have consistency of food. Yeah. And we also want to, you know, bring it in-house so we can almost cook with the beer, do pairings with the beer. So it's more educational because, I I mean, we like the community part, but we want to do more education of craft beer part. Um, So that's getting delivered. And, you know, every time I'm just like, hey, we're wanting to invest in this, a lot of them are like, yeah, I'm on board because, you know, we're still – raising at the same level that we were originally so they know the value's gone up yeah but you know the fact that i'm like hey in good faith we're all putting in dollar for dollar the same amount so let's just keep growing it as we're growing it so i think we've been we have a good solid group that's always been on board for it how many how many hands are actually in this though yeah. uh so just the 12 but i mean day to day a lot of them are good they're just They'll come by, have a beer, check out, make sure yeah, that yeah. I haven't blown the place up. <laughs> so. so most of them are kind of hands-off? Yeah, or for the most part. I mean, I'll get the complaint, like, oh, a TV's off. or, <laughs> But they're being, like, genuine about it. It's just it's funny. Like, I'll be at home Friday, and I'll get a text, like, hey, this, this happens. So I'll text.
0: Are they watching on the cameras or actually in here? They're they in here. That? I'm okay. the
1: only one that has access to the cameras. <laughs> I don't want them to see all the time. I was going to say,
0: <laughs> got a couple of businesses where people are like, Hey, I see this, and they're like, fucking, I hate that we installed this camera. It's <laughs> like, I have my own business partners watching from above. It's like God itself is just staring down. Big brother, yeah. Um, and then, so when you guys started this, how'd you guys even decide this location? Kind of, I mean, this is not a small spot either. Was it always this big? uh So, this shell was
1: always here. um Ivanhoe Village always kind of impressed us. Like, At the time, the yard wasn't here, Lake House wasn't here, Russell's, like all these new businesses weren't here. Um, But I sat on the board of Ivanhoe Village. I was trying to get very active with the local community and the the main street here was just a lot of fun, a lot of cool independent uh, businesses that I connected with. So I actually kind of grew with them before I even knew of this spot opening up. And once we saw this location on the market, A lot of people were skeptical just because there was a church next door and a school across the street. And within 500 feet of a liquor license, you have to go through, like, special variances and get permissions. And people can just say, hey, I don't want it. And if one person, like, disagrees, then it kind of all falls apart. So it's super risky going into, you know, an LOI with the landlord and, you know, lining up all the pieces. You got all the pieces set up before even going to the variance level. So... We did get kind of lucky and had some, you know, a lot of, a lot of support. I think explaining like what a brewery taproom is versus what a bar is, yeah. A lot of the people were more so like, oh, okay, we can handle that. Like they're closed at 10 p.m. during the week. We stay open till midnight on the weekends,
0: but usually it's kind of filtered out by 11, 11:30, and people have moved on. So. so there's a lot of sales pitching on your end to try to get that difference of the two in their minds, because obviously yeah. they're just hearing beer bar brewery, whatever. And they're yeah. like, no, my kids are there. They're praying over there afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, So it is It is
1: funny because now we do have teachers and parents that come over before a baseball game, or if they're waiting to pick the kids up, they'll come and grab a four-pack for later. And so it's, it's funny how you do paint that picture, and now that it is here, I think they are kind of like, oh, that is cool. They have really driven community and, you know, done a good thing with, like, adjusting what they were actually
0: perceiving when we first opened up. say, there's such a difference between what people perceive initially and hey there's a school kids beer yep. it's already too much and it's like in reality it's like all these teachers all they want to do once they get out of work dealing with the kids they need a beer mm-hmm. and let's be real probably people after church need a beer too like <laughs> exactly <laughs> there's a lot of shit they're probably praying for that a beer can kind of solve without <laughs> exactly. having to send it up to the gods above exactly um, so then when you started open this when was that
1: 2018 so we opened soft open in june of 2018 i went on my trip in spring of 2017 to peru so literally it was quick turnaround because i know there's a lot of breweries that had to cut a lot of red tape and i thank them for that because as it went along when i first moved here the city of orlando had some weird rules against breweries and it wasn't like the new uh mayor and everything it was just old rules that needed Let to be changed there and so luckily in 2017, June of 2017, they had adjusted one rule. And thats I think that's what kind of expedited things because I was like put my feet in the ground. I was like, ah, it just doesn't make sense because the rule was you could only have 25% tasting room and then 75% manufacturing. And that's just such a small tap yeah. room. So they had adjusted it to 50-50, which worked out a lot better because we wanted more seating, but we also wanted a big Base. space for manufacturing it. Um, and so when Mayor Dyer put that through in June of 2017, I was like, this is just perfect. Like, so many other breweries started jumping in and trying to get into that because it just made more sense. Who fought, who fought that rule change? So, I mean, just the breweries that were here. Orlando the, Brewing's been around, I think, 13 years now, OG 14 ones. years. Yeah, so, I mean, I before I was here, there was a growler law where you could either sell 32-ounce or 128-ounce but 64 is like a normal size growler every other yeah. state. So I was like, well, 128 ounces That's is a, a ton okay. of beer.
0: 32 yeah. is <laughs> not enough. Half, most people can't carry out a 128. <laughs> they're huge. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they're like
1: the big jugs.
0: That's like a full child.
1: Yeah, so a lot of the breweries back then, this is probably a decade ago now, they fought for that, finally got a pass through Tallahassee. This is a more local one, so I would say probably Orlando Brewing was involved and just others that were trying to open up and just saying, hey, this is the one thing stopping me from, like, you know, providing a brewery and helping out with the economical side of it. And I was going to say, was
0: that, was that kind of the last uh, barrier, obstacle that you had to kind of get through to make you feel comfortable kind of going all in? I think so. I think once that that
1: happened, that was a good one, because that was June 2017, so I think we were already kind of like accepting the battle with the church and the school. <laughs> we were like, all right, we can handle that one, but let's figure this one out. And then when they did that, I was like, oh, well, our plans work out perfectly, um, cause this is a 4,800 square foot facility and we added the patio and that's part of the tap room. So we get 2,600 square feet back there, 2,400 indoor,
0: 200 outdoor. So, and it just kind of mathematically just worked perfectly for the 50, 50 rule. So you can't go over 51. You can't go 51 on the tap room side, right? Yeah.
1: Per the plans. Yeah, I mean, unless
0: you somehow <laughs> grew that thing. Exactly. Exactly.
1: That's interesting.
0: That's, uh, what other crazy rules were there? Oh, man. I mean, these are things that no one, I feel like no one knows. Yeah. I mean, there's a ton in this industry. The biggest
1: one is uh, self-distribution. There's probably, I mean, I should know this. I'm on the Florida Brewers <laughs> Guild, and I hear like people wanting self-distribution so bad. But there's probably 40 states, I think it's 38, that allow self-distribution. And I came from California, which was a state that allowed self-distribution. But in Florida, it's three-tiered still, which requires you to sell to a distributor before you can sell it to a restaurant, bar, or retailer. And so, a lot of the distributors, or a lot of the small breweries, it's a disadvantage because one, they don't have enough volume to really do a lot of accounts. So distributors aren't interested in that because it's you know not worth their time. And you know that would allow them to walk a keg across the street to their buddy's pizza parlor or something like that. So. That's been an ongoing battle is the self-distribution rules. And then franchise reform on the other aspect is when you're with the distributor, it's harder to get out of a distribution agreement than it is a marriage. Like, that's the running joke is divorce is easier than getting out of a distribution Divorces agreement. Divorces not, not very easy. <laughs> exactly. Oh, man. So that's another thing that, you know, small breweries that did get tied up with a distributor and just kind of want to cut ties and bring it back, they have to go through a big, long process. It's just like a... Uh, it's
0: very stuck agreement that it's yeah
1: like there's it's contracts on no contracts term it's can, perpetual lifetime until no term. you can either buy it out or there's certain like it, it depends on your contract but if they aren't hitting certain things you can eventually get out of it like we've we've had to adjust we've gotten out of two contracts but it's just a longer process because you just kind of have to take better notes and you know have Both. a good lawyer uh, no, both were agreeable, and okay. COVID was kind of the main reason, and that's what we said, you know, you guys have to concentrate on your core brands. We have to concentrate on ours. Um, so definitely not. It's funny here, like, I don't – I haven't had any issues with our distributors, and more with City Beverages, and they've been awesome locally. So in case they're listening, just to clear that <laughs> up. Um, but I think, you know, being on the board of the Florida Brewers Guild, I'm not just fighting for myself. I'm representing the 600 other breweries in the state. So – there's a lot of them out there that have different stories that, you know, require different needs and things like that. Did you
0: always plan on being on that board, like, as a, like, full-time or for a long time because of the your own brewery? Or so, did it just so happen to be that you're like, you know, I do have a pretty good pull and say in this. So maybe I should just stay in.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was just kind of like I threw my name in the hat and then wasn't expecting anything and got voted on. And, you know, I've been doing it since. I'm the board treasurer, so a lot of that is just... The MBA the MBA and the finance background. Um, But figuring out how to roll that out would be tough. And I think, you know, we've done some restructuring with the Florida Brewers Guild and it's been awesome to kind of see them grow. So it's fun to kind of be a part of that. And because it is statewide, you know, I'm the one board member that kind of has to represent central Florida as a whole. So trying to be connected with that, um, just staying in touch with a lot of the local breweries to see what their needs are and what might be happening on their end and bringing that to the attention of the other board members. So, we do a hill climb every year in February up in Tallahassee um, during session, and we'll try to, you know, promote different bills that we're supporting and push them through to hopefully get things approved for us. How many How many are on the board? I uh, should know this as well. Roughly. <laughs> About 12. <laughs> okay. I think we're around that. We keep adding to the bylaws just because there's so much work to it, and we're all volunteers, so it's like, we're it's running like we a business. Can't, you know, we can't do all this. Yeah, and we're creating committees, and we do a really cool conference every year that just takes a lot of time and resources, and the lobbying portion of it just takes a lot of time and resources. So we're, we're restructuring and getting things going to kind of have more help. So, you know, it's not on one
0: person to figure out how to change the yeah. world. <laughs> how, how many – where would you say Florida's ranked in, like, breweries? Like, I don't want to say, like, popular or known. Like, But wh- where, where would you rank Florida? So, I mean, regionally, that's
1: kind of why I looked at the Southeast region. Um, The Brewers Association is a national uh, association that kind of gives good statistics, and the Southeast region has always been one that's, you know, per capita, been less than the other regions. Yeah. So in the industry, they hate the word saturation because it's never really saturated, but all markets eventually get saturated. Um, But in our market, you know, it's not really competition. It's more so collaboration um so i think that kind of helps out where if it looks like saturation it's th- they're still working together like yeah. we're sending people to 1010 right down the road they're sending people to red light red light they're sending people to tactical so it's like a snowball effect of getting people to educate themselves on how many brewers there are um but the southeast region was kind of
0: lacking um as far as per capita I was gonna say, would you say like the closest area like known for breweries would you say is north carolina tennessee uh, tampa would be like the
1: one Tampa Jacksonville Miami as far as like from my perspective yeah (laughs) so Tampa's been growing St. Pete Clearwater like if you combine all that they've got a majority of breweries they're all producing really good beers so I think they're kind of like the Mecca in the southeast Atlanta's doing really well so each hub has its own, and that's it. this was 2016 when I was researching it. And back then, I think uh, Central Florida had, like, 17 breweries. And we're still only at, like, 30 or 32 breweries, which isn't a lot because you look at Tampa area and there's hundreds many, of breweries. I was say, hundreds? Yeah. So oh, damn. it's just it's crazy, the difference. And it is still collaboration. <laughs> like, even if there's one on the next corner, you're still sending them over there or they're bouncing around. So it's all kind of like you're sharing that market. And just kind of, you know, creating your own regulars and your own draw kind of thing.
0: I was going to say, because I travel a decent amount, and I already shared with you my buddy, who's, I mean, his he literally has a beer belly. Dan, I, we're talking about you, my <laughs> man. Um, and everywhere, he, him and I do national park trips all the time, so we actually just went to Alaska. Oh, nice. And every middle of the nowhere town we saw a brewery we had to go and went to the i guess 49th state brewery oh, yep. uh, which is i guess pretty well known up there yep uh fucking amazing yeah. F- food's good um but then you go to all these other like cities and i feel like i don't know if it's just because i'm traveling with him and he obviously points out all the breweries but i'm like damn all these like cities have way more breweries than what like i'm used to i was born and raised in florida um even when i lived in virginia and dc like they have breweries everywhere it's a pretty well-known thing and so i always thought florida was maybe behind uh, especially being a state that probably should be up to par with all the other ones being we're outside yeah i think central
1: florida is still growing um but tampa miami jacksonville have a good amount of like per capita but central florida i mean we still have plenty of space and there are a few breweries in planning right now so it'll be cool seeing them kind of opening up but i agree i mean it's still kind of educating people that orlando's not just the theme parks there's other
0: things to do so that's a big topic (laughs) we talk about on this podcast too how like orlando it's like all of these businesses i've had on it's like they could have went and did their business elsewhere Mm -hmm. uh but they all wanted to stay true to where they're from and kind of turn orlando from what everyone thinks is disney universal and that's it And there's no such thing as downtown orlando or anything else and then be like you know we need to like convert orlando to an actual city that people know not for just the theme parks yeah um and we do love the theme parks i mean they drive tourism and Epcot. traffic so. <laughs> and they carry our beer so disclaimer hey Ep- epcot's like the one one off I'll, I'll let that park go it's uh it's the one park where i feel like kids are looked at as like the annoying ones like why are you in our park this is, Epcot. <laughs> this is we drink, drink. <laughs> and we're gonna get fucked up yes. please kids don't annoy us <laughs> go on the frozen ride and that's it um mm-hmm. uh, and how how big do you distribute like how far out do you distribute
1: uh so right now we're in about six counties throughout central florida uh so as far as south as lakeland area uh up to volusia county area
0: so. is, is that a distribution range or is that more of like you guys or so it's what kind of limits that
1: through the distributor um so we're with three different distributors right now and you know we're just kind of growing and as i mentioned we did back out of two contracts and then signed with another one so it's just kind of slow growth seeing who partners well with us who kind of represents our beer well and you know maintains inventory and all that so um yeah the limiting factor is that and just coverage um i mean we could try to go statewide but it, it you kind of need to have a rep there so they can, you know, visit accounts, check in, train staff on the beer so they're explaining it correctly, um, making sure lines are clean, making sure, you know, the brand's
0: represented properly. And this is a question out of, I don't know at all, this whole, I guess this whole aspect of it, but when you guys do that, is there, can a brewery not be their own distribution or is that just way too much uh, to handle?
1: So there's two breweries in the state of Florida that do have like their own distribution company. Um, there is ways around it, and, you know, it works for them, and they do it well. There's actually three now that I think about it. Um, so it is a possibility to do that. I know coming from California, Stone Distributing started because Stone Beer wanted, they were distributing their own beer, but they were like, well, if we drop off another breweries beer, we can make money, and that kind of offsets our cost for distribution. So they started a whole distribution company that had a whole portfolio, Damn. and it's just because they saw the value of, like, you know, if we drop 10 different beers, you know, we pay X amount per
0: beer cost for that distribution you, you know, cost it's, it's a lot like a clothing brand that does manufacturing I mean for them to have their own factory manufacturing their own clothes is that's a yeah that's, that's a, a whole different capital. yeah <laughs> capital <laughs> the risk everything else and it's just easier for them to say hey we'll just have our own manufacturing company that you know we pay do that and that's it is that kind of the same with yeah this? for and the this most
1: sense? part because yeah you're, you'll be investing in the vans you'll be investing in cold box storage uh the staffing all that so It is a heavy, heavy investment, and yeah, you would just need multiple breweries to kind of offset the cost of all that. And I mean, a lot of distributors are already set in place, so you wouldn't really, you'd be competing in a pretty competitive market of,
0: you know, generational old breweries. You'd have to be a fairly, really large brewery to like, just want to distribute your own as well, right? You'd have to have... To make it worth the time. So (laughs) let's get in the fun stuff of the beers. So when you did the beers, one, who's your brewmaster?
1: Uh, so our head brewer right now is Eric. He actually just walked up. Uh, so <laughs> he's uh, he's the one that kind of ha- takes the lead. We have him overseeing our lead brewer, Jonathan, and then an assistant brewer, Michael. So they're just the ones that kind of get back there. And like I mentioned earlier, cleaning's their number one job. But uh being creative recipe creation supply ordering like all over the
0: place i mean it's what's the interview process for like a brewmaster like that like (laughs) taste buds their ingredients science like there's a lot to there is a lot and
1: it's just it's more than creating good beers i mean we like that he's pretty hands-on we like that he understands software systems on the back end so on paper there's a lot but i think there's a lot of just culture as well like He'll hang out after work and have a beer and, you know, chat with people and, you know, people enjoy that. They want to know who brewed it, like what's in the beer, what they're drinking. Um, so kind of having that personality of being out there and, you know, he'll attend beer fests on the weekend. Like this last weekend, he went to Central Florida Top Brewer, which is a really cool event, but it allows him to interact with the customers that are, you know, coming in on a normal basis, but seeing who's actually behind the scenes.
0: Are they equivalent to like a chef? For the most part.
1: Right. I mean, cooking and brewing are pretty similar. It's like, Are they competitive at all with like other
0: brewmasters, I guess?
1: So in a, in a fun way, yeah. yeah. So like I mentioned, Central Florida Top Brewers is a fun beer event put on Bowiegan's. Be- and what they do is it's like Top Chef. So going back to that analogy of cooking, they assign every brewery, well, they do like a draw to the hat. Every brewery gets two random ingredients. So we got lucky. We got Fruity Pebbles and Apricot. So it wasn't too crazy. But they had, like, cilantro, juniper berries, like, the most random stuff in there that doesn't oh.
0: always work out yeah. for all the breweries. yeah oh, so. cilantro beer. Yeah. Oh. So
1: some of them just get a bad luck of the draw, but others, you know, you get some fun what stuff. When is that? Uh, you, just luck of the draw. And
0: no, no, when? When? On?
1: Oh, so it just happened this last Saturday. <sighs> I know. Is
0: it uh, one time a year?
1: Once a year, yeah. So mid-October so next my year. my that it just
0: happened. <laughs> Damn it. That sounds so fun. It's a good event. Um, and then, so... Uh, how with all the beers you guys have, are they seasonal or are they... How often do you guys bring out a new beer?
1: So we try to keep it pretty fresh. As I mentioned, we have 15 taps and we only have four core beers that are usually year-round. Um, so the other 11 are usually varietals that are either from prior seasons. Um, so like I mentioned, Hazel Nutty Crackers are winter beer uh, just because it does really well during the holidays. Um, we do a Valentine's beer called I Choose Me. Um, we have Lake Hopper, which is kind of year-round, and that was a collaboration beer we did with Florida State Parks Foundation. So we donate oh. a portion of proceeds for sales for that nice. uh, to help support their mission. Um, and then, obviously, we have the Bear Beer uh, Florida Ale that we're releasing this weekend for the Solar Bears game opener.
0: I know. I was, I was going to say, we're gonna. I want to get into this, too, because you guys collab with, like, you guys are always doing shit. Yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> Cause I feel like breweries, I mean, they have their own thing that they have to focus on, right? But, I, I mean, I've watched movies out here in the parking lot. I've done all, you know, events with you guys. And then obviously I saw the Solar Bear stuff. How do you even, who's doing all of that? How do you guys get into working with all these other? I don't know.
1: It's been luck, I guess. Uh, just keeping communication. I mean, it's kind of fun because they're looking to do something cool and we're looking to do something cool so a lot of the partnerships just kind of match up and we just get lucky on that aspect um florida state parks i had reached out to them just because i knew we had done some cleanups with them and you know we wanted to get more involved and have like that outdoor aspect um yeah. solar bears we've always just been fans and you know went to them and presented the idea and it's just kind of snowballed
0: from last season into something bigger each year so it's been pretty cool it's kind of I'm having my own little moment because I had Duven on, who is now working with Orlando City. You guys with the Solar Bears, I'm like, I fucking love <laughs> there's sports. There's the connection, so. yeah. yeah. I'm like, look at it. look at this. This is pretty cool. That's awesome. I had uh, a few businesses that were all Orlando Weekly top whatever they were. And I'm like, you know what? Deep down, I think it's just all built into me. Maybe there's just luck I'm giving you. There you go. Um, giving so, it out there. So how did you guys choose kind of what beer you guys were going to choose for the Orlando Solar Bears?
1: Uh, So we wanted a more easy drink and approachable beer. Um, I mean, a majority of craft beer drinkers want that heavy hop hitter or that dark beer. Um, But when you're at a Solar Bears game, you just want something you can chill on. Yeah, drink a few of them. Um, So it is our basic Florida ale recipe that's just beer as beer should be just because, you know, that's what you're looking for when you're drinking at a hockey game and a lot of People might not want that crazy flavored adjunct yeah, <laughs> beer. So
0: this beer was already created before they partner. You guys partner with them?
1: Uh, no, we created it specifically for oh, this cool. one. Yeah, okay. so it's it's similar to our Blondale, but slightly different as well. A little bit different malt build to it. And but
0: then, if you don't want, if you don't mind me asking, how did how do you think they decided you guys over any other brewery? Um, without putting, you don't have to put that. <laughs> I think
1: it just we connected. I mean, working with their team and our team, you know, we're both flexible. We're both trying to have fun. It's, you know, sometimes breweries are kind of corporate-y if they're too big or, you know, really? oh. unorganized if they're too small kind of thing. So yeah. we're like that middle group where we're corporate-y enough we're organized that we can meet deadlines and, like, communicate an email, but small
0: enough that we're like, yeah, let's have fun. <laughs> <If> that, <laughs> that makes sense. Here. You have to have fun. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, it makes total sense. Cause... <laughs> Once you get to the logistics and all those financial sides, it's easy to get too uptight, and then you lose the fun of drinking and trying beers and craft beers. And then vice versa, a small brewery—they yep. probably only focus on having fun at that moment. They're not—they're not worried about the size of you know their business yet. Yeah. Uh, and what made you t- like want to be so tied into the community, especially for not being a local yeah. originally?
1: Uh, it's really cool. I know. It's, appreciate it. <laughs> it's crazy. I think just getting involved with the main streets. So Ivanhoe Village, when I was on the board, I just kind of saw something different than I didn't have in California. Like, you know, California is just so spread out and so populated. It's like you have your groups of people that you hang out with, and that's about it. Whereas coming to Orlando and seeing Central Florida and, you know, I think they're up to 12 main streets now, and we used to have 10, so it's still like a growing district kind of thing. I think that just kind of got me really involved. And, I mean, you know, more so from the business side as well, like having that community drawn here, you know, it obviously helps profitability. So it's kind of yeah. fun that, you know, that's our passion is creating that community, um, but also, you know, adding value to the business so that hopefully we can grow and pay back to that community kind of thing.
0: What's what's the bi- What's the your top driving point with doing events and things like that? Obviously, money is always nice <laughs> too, but... Uh, I feel like that, that no one should have to name. Like we all know, <laughs> hey, you know, we're all in business. We all know that, as much fun as we want to have, there's always financial benefits to it. But yeah. outside of that, obviously, what what's like why the movies? Why, you know, all of these events you guys do? What's the what's your reasoning? I
1: think it's just having that involvement community. Um, you know, I live in College Park, and it's cool when they shut down Edgewater and all the businesses come out. Um, Every second Tuesday, we do food fair, and it's huge for us. But the cool thing is, is they park, they come to food fair, but then they'll go to another business in Ivanhoe Village. So it's like that collaboration of sharing the market where, you know, other people do cool events. Like, I know you just mentioned Cholo Dogs. They do a hot dog eating contest at Gnarly Barley, and, yeah, they pack the place, but then before it starts or after it's done there's pre and post beer here and they kind of you know spread the love and I I think everybody's kind of like you mentioned money's there but I think we're more so in the fact like if we drive them to Ivanhoe Village they'll hang out in Ivanhoe Village and College Park has that same mindset you know get people on Edgewater let's shut it down and all those businesses kind of thrive from that so I think that's our biggest thing is you know we're doing it getting people to our business but at the same time we love seeing people after and it empties out and yeah it looks dead for two hours from after the movie's done it's dead here but it's cool because we know they went to another bar they went to another business in the area to kind of support
0: them I'd think that's something Orlando really didn't have at least years ago I I remember anything you did it was like a one-stop shop you're going to somewhere that was really it and I feel like now we're having a different trend here where people want to just stay outside or want to walk to places i used to make fun of orlando because when i moved to dc i learned that i just wanted to walk to everything everything's walking i want to go to the next spot and i was like damn in orlando i feel like no one walks anywhere like we all complain if we have to park and walk like a quarter mile <laughs> yeah i was like well, i don't know if, what's wrong with us <laughs> but then like now i you know i came back four years ago and it's like you know we're starting to build this like A lot more markets outside pop-up things and Ivan and Mills area is like by far my favorite area because you can walk to every little every different thing and everyone's so tied to each other where you don't hear any business in this area like not want to talk about another business in the area as well and that I think at least for me that earns respect like if a business can put their own ego side like, hey, you should go check out X, Y, Z or try this over there. All of a sudden, I respect that initial business way more. Like, yeah, that's a lot <laughs> to put that aside and say, hey, go spend your money over there. Yeah. And let's be real. We all have money to spend so you know, <laughs> everyone can spread the wealth. Exactly. What what would you say was your biggest obstacle in starting this whole thing? Oh, man. Maybe the moment that you almost thought it wasn't going to happen. Oof, feels like a daily thing <laughs> it's all, it always um
1: goes. yeah i don't i usually it's just raising capital but i think that trip to peru and meeting my business partners that are now who they are they've been awesome to work with and getting through that was a big step um construction's always a headache
0: That's i mean nightmare. <laughs> grape and grain had the same thing with what do they have behind that i think a school as well I think so, yeah. And they they had to go through the yeah, yeah.
1: So it's just, there's the politics behind it that are sometimes tough. And, you know, it's just kind of going through that. It's funny because my now wife worked for the city of Orlando. So that tells you how much you work with the city of Orlando. (laughs) You literally marry into it.
0: Um, so <laughs> did you marry her? No, okay. It
1: happened after, after. we hey, didn't have yeah. our first date until we had our certificate of <laughs> occupancy in hand.
0: It's like, you know what? This is not going as quick as possible. Let me see which broad wants, uh, what can we to do? get a ring on it? And then, so yeah, I know we had to deal with stuff with our, uh, permits and stuff in Fort Myers dealing with our business. Hmm. And it got to a point where everyone, as soon as we walked in the building, everyone's like, Oh, it's these motherfuckers. Again. <laughs> yep. We're like, Hey, just, just sign us off. We won't have to come in. Yet. Yeah. Yeah um and i mean we have all the events going on here too so i don't want to take too much time as well um but what would you say was i'm going to put a little bit on you what was your your biggest fuck up? oh man i don't know that's tough (laughs) it's we've got we've grown
1: big fast um i think our biggest thing I'm a yes man (laughs) and my staff hate that because usually when I say yes to something that means they have to do something extra (laughs) Um, but they've been awesome like kind of going the flow I know there's pushback every once in a while and I do have to step back and be like yeah like that'd be an awesome sale to have that'd be really cool to do but we have to concentrate on, like, our core base, you
0: know, functions. It's also good that you have employees that have that kind of – I mean, that's all obviously based on leadership, too, to, for them to be comfortable speaking up like that. And I think that's what's so dope about a startup mm-hmm. where you're starting up and you. it's not just employees. Like, they're part of the family. They're helping this thing get off the ground or get to where it is. Yeah. And it's, it's always important that those employees have the comfortability to speak up and say what they feel. Yeah think that's something that gets lost when companies get too big yeah it's like don't speak up just do your just job do yeah
1: and then you get mundane and then you figure out how to kind of get around doing it so yeah it's been good and I think that's my biggest fault is always like you know what Epcot needs us now let's do it and they're kind of like well <laughs> you know with the hurricane we got set back a bit like we had you know batches get pushed back you know, staff had right. to take care of things at home and we allowed that and that just kind of pushed our whole schedule back so it's like i got to take a step back and realize you know that sale would be awesome to have but at the same time like we have you know so many other things to catch up on and just keep that base going so do you guys ever
0: lose like or get batches ruined
1: that's pretty rare, yeah. knock on wood. Um, yeah. So, I'll <laughs> I'll knock on the wood for you. Then. The awesome thing about the professionalism and you know science of a head brewer is they know how to like monitor. So on the daily, they're checking statistics of all of the beers and taking, you know, all the measurements that they need as far as sugar levels, pH balance, all that. And that's kind of where they can sample it. And if they feel something might be going wrong, they know what to do to adjust to catch it. So that's a whole science, man. It is. And that's what's nice. Like that's above my level. Like I would have no idea. I mean I love drinking beer. I used to love homebrew and I haven't homebrewed in so long, but they can come in and be like, oh this temperature was off or like the power must have gone out. The temperature was up ten degrees and now it's back down. And I mean that affects your yeast interaction and things like that. So knowing what to do to recapture that, like luckily you know, we haven't
0: had to dump any beer. Now, what's the most difficult thing logistically outside of disorders? Like what, or day-to-day, what's like the most difficult day-to-day aspect?
1: I think distribution. Yeah. It's just, it's tough because, you know, our distributor has to communicate and deal with hundreds of other breweries. So I have to understand, like when I text or email, I'm not like getting a response immediately because you know, they're having to communicate with the account or the customer or whatever it is on the other side. So I think day to day, that's just the toughest because internally we all like communicate. We have Slack going all the time. Like everything's like
0: quick and easy communication. And then you go to that. Yeah. You sl-
1: got to kind of sit and wait and you're like, Oh, we need the answer. Cause we got to order by 5 PM to get the ingredients by next week. And, you know, forecasting months ahead when, you know, they're kind of looking at next week. Yeah. <laughs> that's the toughest part is finding a good balance. Like, you know, almost reading you know a, a crystal ball and figuring out what they're going to need next. And if you miss that target, that could really affect that account. Where you're shorting the account, they're not going to be happy. But at the same time, you know we have hundreds of accounts, so you got to kind of yeah. get the balance of how to make all of them happy.
0: When, speaking of happy, employee-wise or team-wise, what, what kind of leadership style do you have?
1: Uh, pretty hands off. Um, I think, like I mentioned, Slack's always a good communication. Like, hey, if there's an issue, let's bring it up. Let's figure it out. Um, we try to have make- weekly meetings, but, you know, we're all busy. You know, my sales guy's always in the market. Katie's always running around in the tap room. And, you know, Eric's always busy brewing. So it's for the most part, like, they are kind of the pillars. And yeah. then when something comes up, we just work as a team to figure out how to get through it. Um, so I think that's just kind of like a good teamwork aspect. And, you know, someone's out, let's pick up the Slack, figure out how to fix it. And I know Eric's, you know, a brewer back there, but he's been out here setting up tables or, like, he sees someone's running a little late, he'll put the bar stools down, he'll clean up a bit. So I think it's just, like you said, that small business aspect, like everybody
0: pitches in where they need to pitch in just to kind of keep things growing and flowing the job description also has a part where it's just a blank underline <laughs> yeah. where it's like, you also have to fill in the blanks sometimes. That's kind of part of it. Yeah, ad hoc. <laughs> yep. It's the best term ever. <laughs> <laughs> what, 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 what's what been your biggest learning curve as a business owner? Oof.
1: I think just... Getting through COVID, um, I mean, owning a business before I learned a ton of lessons. Like if you interviewed me at my last brewery, everything was wrong. <laughs> so having a lot of lessons learned there and kind of learning from mistakes and things like that has really helped out uh, with growing this one. And you know, I think that gives us an opportunity to learn from those mistakes. But on this end, I think just having a good team has been the the biggest aspect. And you know, trusting that they'll do it. I mean. Even today, there's a perfect example is I know Eric's busy, so I try to do stuff and totally messed it up, did it wrong, ordered, a, ordered the wrong thing, <laughs> and it ends up causing more work. And yeah. he's like, you know you can just tell me to do it, and you know I'll do it. And I'm like, I do know you'll do it, but I also like feel bad that you're like Doing in all of it. so many hours, and like yeah, I want to take something off your plate, but in the end i learned that he's better at doing it so
0: (laughs) just trust that he'll do it kind of thing what what was the biggest thing with the pandemic for you guys that's Uh, something no one can no one prepares for yeah no one expects that to to happen yeah
1: um just having on-premise sales was a big hit. um a lot of breweries when they open up taproom sales is like your bread and butter i mean the margins are there it's kind of like what drives the traffic and you know just not having that aspect like luckily we have a canning line on site so we could can all of our beer but still going through 15 barrels of beer through the tap room just in cans uh community came out and supported as much as they could but it's just keeping sales up so it's always tough we had to furlough front of house staff and you never want to do that um so you know we had to make adjustments to make it work and you know we survived but
0: was there, there's a lot of adjustments. Was there like a full pivot that you guys had to switch up? Because I know obviously restaurants had to switch completely to take out. What, what was the big pivot you guys had to do? So
1: with breweries, there was a couple open and closes. Uh, the first reopen, we were allowed to open as long as we had a food truck. So we're like, cool. We had food trucks every day. It worked out. We opened up. But then they closed down again, and then the requirement to open up next time is you either had to own the food truck with the same license license or have a food license. So our biggest thing was we installed the washable ceiling, and we put in a pizza oven and applied for our food license. So... And now we actually use the pizza oven <laughs> quite often. We sell pretzels, we sell pizza.
0: I was gonna say did you get the food license though?
1: We did. Hot and cold. that allowed us to reopen. It was it was always around a holiday weekend when they would close us down. So it was like July first when they closed us down and then July seventh when they said if you have a food license you could open. And luckily like the DBPR was a little more quick on turnaround, so by like July tenth we were reopened with a food license in hand. So I'm sure it usually takes way longer. So the fact that I got a food
0: license in three days, it's it's not a bad deal. I remember how many bars were trying to give away chips. To yeah. Sh- <laughs> the whole time I'm in there, I'm like, "There's like I know licenses and permits, and there's no way this is fly." Yeah. Like Do you get then I think that very next day they got shut down like a day after they opened up. They like, started monitoring off. it. Yeah. yeah. I was like, "There's no way." a bag of chips, like, (laughs) that's not Publix. You guys even buy it in bulk. Like, you guys just went and paid full price for Just to open up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So to kind of wrap it up, what, what would you say, what advice would you give to someone thinking about starting up a business?
1: I mean, it's always tough to make that initial jump, but I mean, do as much research as you can. Um, The brewing industry is different because a lot of owners will open up their books and answer questions, whereas other businesses are a little more competitive and cutthroat. So (laughs) it's a little easier on our end because I can go to my, you know, one of the other owners and be like, how do you supply this? How much do you pay? Like, and really get good financials and understand, you know, how they're doing it to kind of either replicate it or make it better kind of thing so I mean I would just say research as much as you can ask as
0: many questions as you can what about what about mentally advice you would give mentally for someone already starting up a business because that's (laughs) <laughs> i feel like yeah. every time i ask that question or think of it myself it's you just have to laugh because you're like fuck man or yeah someone would've told me the answer to that question yeah i mean
1: there's so many trials and tribulations to it all um i guess just you know keep on trucking find those people around you that'll support you and uh you just make it work out in the end of the day
0: oh yeah <laughs> well hey man thanks for coming on yeah uh I think, I think I did good with the right choice for the brewery. Nice. Well, uh, <laughs> hey, is there anything else you want to kind of give all, leave, leave with us?
1: No. I mean, I'm glad to be on. I'm excited for Solar Bears coming up. Hopefully uh, people will check it out and check out the Florida ale that we brewed for them. I'm uh, open. Can I open one of these? Yeah, if you want to crack it open.
0: I don't know if it's cool enough in the case. These labels are awesome. Do you guys actually make your own labels? I saw the label print you guys actually design it? or
1: So a lot of them we do uh, use either local muralists or artists. Uh, for that one, uh, the Solar Bears actually put that one out for yeah. us. Uh, they designed it on
0: their end. Do you have a design person or like a company that you have do the design?
1: So for our main branding, we hired a local marketing firm called 60 Agency. Um, and they a- did all of our core branding and our logo and uh, our website and things like that. With uh, some of the one-offs we do, uh, it's more so a local artist or muralist that we work with that kind of comes in and puts their spin on it. Yeah, That's
0: dope. So it works out. Well, everyone, check out Ivanhoe Park Brewery for events and beer. There you go. Uh, What's the next event you guys are doing? Next big event. Obviously yeah. we have the solar bears coming here. Solar bears as are we rolling speak. in right now, yeah. And we already know Orlando Solar Bear fans are like the <laughs> minor league of NHL to equivalent to the Buffalo Bills. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
1: So it should be a good night. Um, every f- every second Tuesday we do food fair, which is a really cool event. So coming up in November we're doing it twice because second Tuesday is food fair and the or sorry, second Saturday. <laughs> third Saturday this uh, next month is Jingle Eve, which is a huge event in Iamno Village, so we're doing a food fair
0: that night as well. Cool. Well, I'll come in and stop by. There you go. Alright, Glenn. Well, thanks for having you uh, coming on, and cheers to you, my man. Cheers. Cheers it up. (laughs) Bam.